Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is the number one radio show in the world globally. For entrepreneurs, now if you're listening for the first time, we've been bringing this show to entrepreneurs for three years now and we've interviewed over 180 business leaders and movers and shakers from the entertainment world and, and business and we've given a lot of advice on how to become a successful entrepreneur. Now on this radio program, we don't discuss stock price fluctuations of Fortune 500 companies. Except to say this morning that Tesla's now tipped to go to $400. I don't know, my son bought it at 20 I think, and sold at 100 so he'll be kicking himself today up in Silicon Valley. Um, but we try to give you practical advice each week to, um, to keep you in touch with what's happening in the business world and to help you develop your business. Now, great news for iPhone or Apple fans like myself. The new iPhone 6 is likely to be launched this time next week, and it's rumoured to contain some awesome new features. Um, No one's absolutely sure, of course, what the new iPhone 6 will have, but um, there's been a lot of speculation and a lot of whispers, rumours flying thick and fast, but expectations are very high. They really need to do something to counter the fantastic... um, Samsung products. So, firstly, we're going to get what everybody's been waiting for, including me, the bigger screen. Um, Compared to Samsung's um, flagship phone, the Galaxy S5, which has a 5.1-inch screen, you know, the iPhone 5's got this puny little 4-inch screen that now, when I look at it after using the Samsung it really is puny, but the iPhone 6 is expected to um, have a 5.5-inch screen, bigger than Samsung, and that's a big jump in size, and they'll probably also have a 4.7-inch um, model. I'm not sure why, but they obviously think it's um, got a market, and uh, you know, much bigger than the puny iPhone 4, which is only 3.5 inches, so it's nearly... You know, nearly double the size, the the big one. And secondly, the new iPhone is predicted to have near-field communication. Now, that's a, uh, a way to wirelessly connect devices over a very short range. Uh, this would open up the possibility of mobile, pay-by-touch payments, and a whole bunch of other applications. That would be great. But this is the big one, I think. The iPhone 6... Um, near-field communication capabilities will mean that Apple could turn the iPhone into a mobile wallet, allowing users to pay for goods and services with a swipe of the phone. Now, Apple's reportedly having talks with credit card companies and banks, and in fact it was reported just about an hour ago, I think, that Apple has reached agreement with a number of banks and credit card companies, and Thanks to their massive database of financial data, you know, that's been collected through 
App Store and iTunes, this could push mobile payments right into the mainstream. And, of course, one of the biggest, I don't know whether you've dropped your phone or how often you've dropped your phone over the past few years, but it's really easy to do. When you're carrying your phone and a couple of other things, it always seems to be the phone that falls and not books and things. Um, so one complaint is that they're pretty fragile, considering how often we use them and um, how expensive they are. So Apple's developed synthetic sapphire at its new plant in Arizona. The, um, the synthetic sapphire is harder and more expensive than, um, than glass. And if it can be believed, it's remarkably resilient. So you can drop your phone, it won't break. And Apple already uses uh, this sapphire in, in parts of the, smart, of, of the iPhone 5 over the camera lens and uh, for the home button, fingerprint scanner, etc. So um, I think we're going to get that. And, of course, the iOS 8 operating system. We, we definitely know that that's going to happen. And uh, we also know that we talked about a few weeks ago that Apple's rolling out a new HealthKit app as part of the iOS 8 that will enable us to keep track of our personal health and our fitness data. And it pulls data from also from other surface, uh, sources such as um, Nike Plus apps and health institutions. And uh, iOS 8 also allows you to share apps, music and books purchased with the same credit card with your family, as well as save photos, videos, and documents to the iCloud. And we, we all want to do that, don't we, right at the moment? So save stuff to the Apple iCloud. Hmm. What, what gets me about this whole iCloud business, and maybe I'm old-fashioned, I do not get why literally millions of people want to take nude photographs of themselves and stick them on their, up in the cloud. I don't get it. I mean, if you're that desperate to see what you look like, get up in the morning and look in the mirror. I don't... Um, anyway, so I, for one, can't wait till September the 9th until they launch the new iPhone 6. So go, Apple. Make us all happy. In other news this week, um, Google's begun testing a small number of drones as it explores drone delivery service and they've been working on this for two years but um, they've only begun testing the drones and they're testing them in the Australian outback of all places can't imagine why why wouldn't they just go to Arizona or anywhere but anyway they're testing them in the Australian outback and uh, they're flying between 130 and 195 feet which is well above houses and well above trees and delivering items. It's conducted more than 30 successful flights, um, including some that have travelled distances of half a mile or more. So while the FAA is still um, trying to develop guidelines and regulations for commercial drones, a lot of companies apart from Google including Amazon, as we know from the 60 Minutes last year, Facebook, Disney, and a bunch of others are talking about possible, possible applications for drones, including um, delivery capabilities and high-speed internet. According to Google, it'll be years before the company will develop a fully functional delivery service 
with drones travelling along pre-programmed routes. I can't see it being years. I think that um, FAA is going to come up next year, the latest, 2015, with guidelines for drones. And I think as soon as they announce them, we will have drones in the marketplace doing deliveries, etc. I know Amazon's ready, so once one starts, they'll all start. And when you get something near instantly, it changes how you think about these drones. Just um, Google said, think of the mum stuck at home with two six kids, sick kids, and um, being able to get medicine delivered almost instantly without worrying about what you're going to do with the kids when you go to the pharmacy or whatever. Or you've got a hiker who's been bitten by a poisonous steak, <laughs> steak, snake. Or the farmer, you know, there's a farmer out in the field who's, who's farming and he's got a sick animal and he needs to get some medication from the vet that's in the nearest town, which might be 30 miles away. How quick can it be just to throw it on a drone and send it? And uh, this could also open up new ways of um, sharing goods. I mean, one of the things that um, this new share attitude such as um, um, Airbnb or whatever it is has opened up is the fact that we all buy stuff that we don't use very often. For example, you know, you buy a power drill and you use it 10 minutes a year. So for 364 days a year, you've got a power drill sitting in your cupboard that's not being used and somebody else needs a power drill. So what we do is we now share and maybe you charge people two bucks for the power drill and you let other people use it a hundred times a year. You pay for your power drill and they don't have to go out and buy one. I think it's um, there's no question that in the very near future we're going to be sharing a whole host of things we don't need more than a very short time and it makes a hell of a lot of sense. It amortises the cost, will cut everybody's cost of living Fantastic idea. Now, um, we live in a disruptive world, don't we? Things are changing all the time. And uh, the world's getting more and more technology-driven, more and more focused. And one thing that really needs disrupting is our education system. Not only ours here in America, but in all the Western countries, doesn't matter which Western country you take, but all the Western countries, education needs a really good, solid kick in the ass. And uh, about a year ago, I spoke on this program about a presentation I saw that featured education scholar Ken Robinson. I saw him out at um, Westlake Village. and He was sensational and made a huge amount of sense. The um, auditorium was full of educators who went nuts. Well, Ken's TED Talk on creativity is now the most popular TED Talk ever with over 29 million views, 29 million for a discussion on education. That's fantastic. And Robinson's becoming a legend in education reform. He led the um, British government's uh, 1998 committee advising on creative education. His findings were so powerful that he was knighted in 2003. 
So now his TED Talk is the most watched TED Talk by over 8 million viewers. That's 8 million viewers more than any other talk. That is phenomenal. Robinson says that instead of organising around individualism and encouraging people to be individual individuals, which is what our community tells us to do, doesn't it? Be an individual. Everybody's an individual. We're all not the same. Be the best you can be, etc., etc. We have this ridiculous standardised testing. Everybody's got to be the same. And this structure just alienate students so that many drop out before graduating. If you've got the ability to be the best dancer on the planet and you go along to school and you want to be a dancer, what do they say to you? Dancers are for sissies. What you need to do is learn mathematics and, and English and physics. Bullshit. Whose idea is that? That's ridiculous. So... You know, you look at the United States system, and it's exactly the same in nearly every other country. There's a 30% high school dropout rate. 30% of kids going to high school drop out because it's not interesting to them. They're forced to do crap they don't want to do, and you can't just blame the kids for it And because these dropout rates reflect a total disconnect between what and how schools teach and the type of education that resonates with, with the people. So many of the people who do have skills that fit into the education system end up trying to be professors. But that doesn't necessarily help, given that 1.6% 1, 1. of the 22 million Americans with graduate degrees are receiving public assistance. So 1.6 million... 1.6% of the 22 million Americans with graduate degrees are receiving government assistance. So how exactly do schools stamp out creativity? Well, it's easy. There's a handful of reasons. Firstly, schools are industrialised. The public education system grew as a response to in industrialism. And in looking to serve factories, schools look like factories. And if you look at public education in its general shape, they're manufacturing processes, aren't they? And a lot of it happens. We separate people by age. In some schools, we separate them by sex. And it's a very linear process, very focused on certain types of outcome. And standardised testing is the grand example of the industrial method of education. It's not there to identify what... I, individuals can do or what they're great at it's there to look at things to which they conform in which ways are they identical to everybody else not in which ways are they different than everybody else now, this is just bloody toxic there isn't a kid in america who gets out of bed in the morning wondering what they can do to raise their state's reading standards they don't give a rat's and, you know, I've been one, and I'm, I don't think Ken Robinson agrees with me, but I'm one who says, what's the use of teaching people, spending thousands of hours teaching people how to spell when every instrument they're ever going to use from now till the rest of their life spells for you and corrects for you? 
we want to be encouraging people to, you know, when was the last time you calculated something in your head? I mean, why do we need to be able to rapidly do 243 times 12 when every, you know, even your smartwatch can do that for you? I don't get it. We need to be teaching people to be the best they can be. We need to be inspiring them. So what schools and the educators need to do is organise around helping students find the disciplines that they're most suited to and what motivate them the most. So we need a big shift from standardisation to personalisation. And I, for one, cannot see it on the radar. So reforming education is about customising to individual circumstances and personalising education to the people that you're actually teaching. And doing that's the answer to the future because it's not about scaling a new solution. It's about creating a total new movement in education in which people develop their own solutions but with external support based on a personalised curriculum. And the second way that schools stamp out creativity is that they create a hierarchy of subjects. We privilege some subjects, like maths, over others. You know, subjects like art and dance. I mean, they're nothing. Nobody encourages you to do that. They encourage you to do it one hour a week because it balances the curriculum and everybody needs some interest in in the arts. Well, that's rubbish. That's ridiculous. It just simply stifles creativity. You know, so at the top of this hierarchy, there's mathematics and languages and then humanities. And right at the very bottom, there's the arts. This is not just in the United States. It's all over the world. And there's even a hierarchy within the arts with fine art and music being preferred over drama and dance. There isn't an education system on the planet that teaches dance every day to children in the way we teach them mathematics. Why? Maths is very important, but so is dance. You know, when you put kids in a room and put some music on, what do they all do? They dance. They don't go and sit in the corner and add up numbers, do they? Kids will dance all the time if you, if you allow them to. But what happens as they grow up, we educate them progressively from the neck up. The result is that there are very few great creative people in the world, but there's bloody MBAs everywhere, millions of the bastards. And a lot of them can't be employed. The third way that schools stamp out creativity is that classes are rigidly timed. Schools have got to stick to a really strict schedule. If you live in a world where every lesson is 40 minutes, you immediately interrupt the flow of creativity. You know, and you look at um, programs like the Bronx KIPP schools that place students at 84% at grade level compared with 16% at neighbouring schools, they have much longer class periods than their peers. The reasoning, kids need to learn that feeling stuck is part of solving problems. 
and it takes time to get unstuck, irrespective of whether you're reasoning through calculus or putting together a play. So you need to give kids more time to solve problems. If, you just, if you're in a 40-minute class and they can't have time to solve problems, so you, um, you give them the answer quickly because you have to, that doesn't teach them that they have to struggle. You know, it's bloody tough out there in the world. You've got to, we've got to learn to solve problems. Now, Sir Ken Robinson is an absolutely magnificent speaker. He's an extraordinary educator. And he makes a hell of a lot of sense. So if you get the opportunity, no, no, I'll, I'll rephrase that. Make the opportunity to have a listen to his TED talk. It is fantastic. And in a disruptive world, now is the time to disrupt the way we educate our children. Better still, he lives in Los Angeles. If you get the opportunity to see Sir Ken Robinson speak, go along. It's well worth it. It'll change the way you think about education forever. Now, you're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. We're here to assist entrepreneurs to become successful. So if you've got a question about any aspect of business, please don't hesitate to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and we will answer it on air or we'll email you directly. Um, for the last 14 years, I've been sending out newsletters Pretty much every month, miss the odd month if I'm across the other side of the world and don't have the opportunity. But for 14 years, we've sent out uh, newsletters every month. The new newsletter started going out, the September newsletter started going out yesterday. And um, there'll be about 16,000 of them out in the next week or so. So if you'd like to get a copy of the newsletter, but I do warn you, it's fairly long, very interesting. <laughs> but it's not a very, it's not a 10 second read, but um, you really should read it. It's, um, it's about, is your business technology driven? Is it? If not, why not? It should be. Um, so have a look at my September newsletter. You're listening to Voice America Business. I'm Bob Pritchard and I'll be back with you with today's interview in just a moment. Do you want the world to know you're a force to be reckoned with? If so, you must join the American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management, America's foremost accreditation institute. You'll be amazed at how AISMM can open doors that you can't. Increase your prestige and influence. Add the letters AISMM after your name. Apply now. Go to AISMM.org. Again, that's AISMM.org. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. 
Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. And we're brought to you by the American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management. Now, this is the segment of the show where we talk to entrepreneurs who are taking initiatives can, that can help us all be more successful or who are putting themselves out and just creating great fun products. This segment's not only about helping our guests promote their business, which of course we want to do, but we really try to ask questions that will provide answers that can be of benefit to every one of us. We try to find out what it is that makes them tick, what makes them an entrepreneur, what's made them successful, and what can we take away from their experiences that will make our journey a little bit less challenging. So this program's all about saluting and assisting entrepreneurs, no matter what endeavour they are undertaking. And uh, we want to encourage others to get out and have a go. Now, today's entrepreneur is a member of my metal group uh, that I mention quite often. And I met him at last Saturday's event, um, actually while I was getting a cup of coffee. Incidentally, last Saturday's event, there was... Um, a mem- uh, metal member, Walter O'Brien, who runs an organisation of geniuses. He's got all the people with IQs of, you know, 190 plus, all in one organisation called Scorpion. And what they do, they're called upon by governments and major corporations to solve seemingly insolvable problems. In fact, there's a TV show about uh, Walter and Scorpion pre- premiering in about two weeks on CBS. It should be a great program. And so, I met my guest, Paul Katz, and he's the CEO and co-founder of Ringling. And uh, I just sort of said, hello, how are you? What do you do? While I was getting a coffee, and he said, I've got this product called Ringling. And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. I never heard of it. So, why don't I talk to the guy? Now, Ringling's an Android application that allows users to request voice recordings from their friends that become the ringtones for their contact. So users can have a unique personal ringtone for every one of their contacts. So if you have 200 contacts, you can have 200 unique ringtones. And that sounds pretty cool. I don't know how you remember any of them, but I guess, you know, if it was Claudia Schiffer calling you, you'd probably remember it. Um, The last company Paul worked for was in market media and they built consumer shopping apps with gamification and they had a total reach of over 20 million. He worked on their player experience and campaign creation where he created interactive advertising campaigns for people like Coca-Cola, Procter & Gamble, Kimberly Clark. So he's had a lot of good brand retail experience. He's an interesting guy, so I thought I'd get him on the show. Hi, Paul. How are you? Welcome to the Bob Pritchard yeah, Radio good. Show. Good. Hey, thanks for, thanks for having me on the show. That's it. Uh, yeah, so um, I'll get right into it. Uh, basically, I uh, came out of the in-market with a lot of experience in mobile. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Jeffrey Chernick, who is just you know full of great ideas, yep. was like, hey, have a good idea for an app. Why don't we you know 
start app together. Uh, there was a competition going on in Santa Monica called uh, LA Startup Weekend, which I, I really recommend to people who are you know have ideas, want to start a, a startup, don't really know you know how to just dive right in. Yeah. Uh, they have co-working spaces in Santa Monica that host these events where you can pretty much build a startup in 72 hours. Wow. So that's what I did. I just went in there, uh, stood in front of a bunch of people, told my idea and said, hey, I'm recruiting developers, designers, whatever. And in 72 hours, we built this, you know, great prototype. We, I went in front of judges, which were a panel of venture capitalists and uh, uh, accelerators from the local, local right. area. And 500 right. startups were there. Uh, Launchpad LA, and I won second place. Fantastic. Let's let's just take one step back. Have you always been an entrepreneur? Did you? How did you start? Yeah, I've always I've always had a had a knack for that. I'm looking for you know any way to really you know um, unravel an idea and, and get a team together. It's really what I you know I have a passion for. So your um. So you came up with this idea, you went before this panel of judges, you just expressed your idea. How, do, do, they, do they charge you to make presentations or come along to this group, or how does that work? They, they do. It's, it's, it's more of a networking event where you can meet developers and designers and work with them for 72 hours. Right. So they give you that environment where you build whatever you can with your team, and then you go in front of judges to get judged on whether your startup is you know, viable and, you know, or they just critique it and, you know, you, you get a lot of insight. Do you, is, is it also a place to raise money? Obviously, if there's VCs there, I suppose they're looking so for... So, you don't, you, they, they don't give you money. I mean, you, the winners do get uh, startup capital, but the main purpose of that is to get the publicity of VCs. Right. And so, being a second place winner, I was actually invited to be on two accelerators, uh, 500 Startups and Launchpad LA. Great. Right. Uh, you know, that was the sort of easy way to do it. You know, you just go to an accelerator, they incubate you, they give you a little bit of startup capital, they take a huge, per, you know, a percentage, but they give you all the resources that, you know, a young entrepreneur might be lacking. Yeah. Which is... uh, luckily, I had Jeffrey Churik on my side, who is a yep. seasoned entrepreneur. He's been, you know, the CEO of his uh, last company for about seven years, successful company as a government uh Transportation software. So they he's also a metal much, member. He's also a metal member. Exactly. Yeah. So we thought, why go? Why go the easy route when we have this, you know, this great background and all these resources? And we went straight out to to VCs. Great. And uh, the it, first. Yeah. Yeah. So the first person we spoke to was uh, Jim Armstrong, who is the uh, managing director of Clearstone. Yep. And immediate yes. You know, the, the winning the competition, Jeffrey Chernick, you know, behind it, being in metal, it was pretty much a clear yes. That's great because most most entrepreneurs that speak to me have got to knock on 10,000 doors before anybody will give them a dollar. <laughs> right. So, yeah, it, it really is about having the passion behind it and having the charisma to be going in front of VCs and knowing how to how to talk to them like human beings and not like your boss. Yeah, yeah. And and you've, you've met them through a, a bunch of fortuitous circumstances. You're not sort of ringing them up saying, hey, I want to see you because I want to sell you something because that, that's really difficult. So um, you got enough money from your first um, venture capital to, to carry you how far? 
No, it was just a, a little bit of startup. It was a seed, a seed amount. Yep. Uh, we went with that and uh, approached other VCs. Yes. Saying, you know, we have Clearstone behind us, which you want to syndicate, and um, two other VCs that are based in Russia oh, actually really? jumped the opportunity. Yeah, actually, surprisingly, a lot of uh, VCs in Russia are now looking at startups in Silicon Valley and in the Los Angeles area. How, did you, putting, how did you find them? Uh, so we went to our, our lawyer who's doing the, the legal work for drafting the terms. Yep. And he had connections in VCs. He's like, why not? You know, throw it out there. Right. And immediately the, the two VCs that he emailed about us were both really excited to jump on board with working with an American uh, VC. That's great. That's the first time I've heard of um, of Russian VCs. I'm not surprised. I've spent some time up there working uh, with corporations in Russia and... Um, you know, so it doesn't surprise me. It, it's just um, unusual, but that's great. That's terrific. Yeah. And, and they're a long way away. They can't be a pain in the ass, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you'd be surprised. They actually uh, have offices in San Francisco that do their due diligence and have their analysts, you know, come down to Los Angeles and meet with us. So you'd be surprised. <laughs> wow, that's okay. That's pretty cool. So. How did you get this idea? You just sort of woke up in the middle of the night one morning at 2 a.m. and said, ah! Yeah, um, so Jeffrey... Uh, Jeffrey... Yeah, it all started with Jeffrey Chernick. He he left his phone out in the open, and one of his friends got on his phone and left a a, a voice recording, and then he he manually assigned it to, to his own contact. Yeah, right. And Jeffrey didn't know about this, and then, you know, three weeks later, this guy's calling him, and, you know... Jeffrey's in, you know, a crowded elevator, and then he hears, yeah, sure. like, this obnoxious ringtone that this guy left his voice recording, and it just hits him. <laughs> He's like, why doesn't he have all his friends leave voice recordings, you know? So when his phone rings, he'll know immediately who it is without having to, you know, look into his pocket, look at the contact. You know, you know as soon as you hear that, that voice or that ringtone, who it is, and you get a little bit of a laugh. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's great. I think it's a great idea. Um, so, it's an Android application. Why aren't you making an app for um, iOS? Sure. So, immediately I'll say that iOS is very strict on apps changing the, the settings on a user's phone. Yeah. In fact, they, there is no ringtone app on iOS that is straightforward assigning music or your ringtone to contact. Oh, really? Okay. They don't allow it for alarm clocks. They don't allow it for any uh, any application that changes your settings. So okay. immediately there were a lot of hurdles if we went into iOS to have to, you know, go around the terms and conditions and find a way to, you know, make it work for both parties. Yeah, and they're so not easy to deal with either. Exactly. And it'd be a lot easier to just test, test the theories out on Android, see what the interest is on iOS, and then focus the resources on that. So, how do you plan to monetize it? So, for monetization, there's, you know, with, with apps, it's really funny. Everyone is so worried about making money on, on mobile. And from my background in mobile and, you know, seeing consumer shopping apps, it's really not about your monetization strategy. Yep. It's about the, the consumer behavior. So, there's a thousand ways to monetize on the behaviors of consumers. Yeah. So there's no real, mobile is so volatile right now that if you implement a, monetiz- a monetization strategy pre-launch, yeah. chances are it's going to be a complete waste of resources. 
right. we really want to get the initial user base, get as large as possible, and then test out multiple strategies on those users. So for yeah. us in particular, you know, VCs, of course, they want to hear monetization strategy after their second sentence. So um, we, we initially came up with an idea of selling toolkits within our app. Yeah. You, know, you basically add sure. sound effects to your voice, you voice modulate, you want to sing karaoke, so you add a little music behind your voice, and all those can be premium features. Yeah. But again, yeah. you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> no, true. And um, it's amazing how many times you've got to pivot before you start making any money, quite often. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The other difficult thing I think that most or a lot of entrepreneurs run into is Pulling a team together, pulling people together, it's very difficult in the startups and there's lots of stresses and strains and people are trying to decide which way to go and um, that's where a, a lot of issues come up and and people tend to, to split. So what sort of a team have you got behind you and, and what are their backgrounds and how did you, how did you get them? Sure, so uh, I, I was lucky enough to have the company at InMarket who I could go to to talk to my old coworkers and see if any of the developers are looking for, you know, their next big project. Right. Uh, we have a guy on board, uh, Art Hedike, who is our CTO and has a large equity chunk. And he basically was the senior developer, you know, the, the lead developer for all of the apps that our company built. Right. So he was the first and the only person that I would have, you know, trusted enough to give all, you know, everything that I did to have him build the app. Just right. solo, you know, to manage the team and to uh, create. So, so what do you do? You just sit around and give orders? <laughs> no, my <laughs> my role is to you know find a, find the designers to you know hire on new teams to create relationships with our VCs and with our other partners. So, of course, any any venture idea, it's or any app idea, is very difficult to execute. Correctly, there's a very high percentage of apps that get launched. They're great ideas, and then a week later, a Chinese company comes out and they basically copied your entire idea. And there's yeah. nothing you can do about it. There's just no way to protect yourself. I think it's the called, only way that you can Alibaba. really win. <laughs> <laughs> the only way you can really win is if you have partnerships and a team behind you that can, you know, help you out with money or with partnerships and getting your name out there and becoming the better app. Yeah, that was going to be so my So that's next, why, you know, yeah. we, we, we haven't even released the app yet. It's about to be released in about eight weeks, and we're already having your name out there. We already tell people what it is, and it's a very simple concept. You just use voice recording on the phone. You send that voice recording to your friends, and then the app assigns to a contact. Right. Very easy to implement. There's no secrets behind it. There's no, you know, super secret algorithms. It's really about who we're going to have as our, as our uh, board of advisors, who we're going to have as our as our sponsors and partners. And that's really where Jeffrey and I come in, is that the majority of our time is spent in places like Metal. We actually have Ken Rakowski, who is the yep. first member of our board of advisors. Right. You know, through him, we've already had meetings with the biggest distributor of ringbacks in the world. Right. He's, they're sending about uh, a quarter million ringbacks a day on their devices. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so a ringback, uh, if your audience doesn't know, it's, it's what plays when you're actually making the call. So when you're listening, you have that little tone, the dial tone, to actually play a song. Right. And their company distributes those uh, that licensing. So right away we have a partner, a potential partner, who can help us with music licensing, who has 
their database of songs and of ringbacks that we can implement in our app. And that's really where one app sets apart from the other. It's like, who is behind it? You know, do you have a good, because this is a, this is an entertainment app. You yeah, know, sure. there's a lot of, there's a lot of personalities that are going to be on it making really obnoxious or interesting ringtones. Yeah. And we're, the, we're going to be the ones that are going to be licensing them and, and publishing them to our users. Well, having, having Ken behind you, you know, Ken, Ken's obviously a very good friend of mine. And, uh, have you done Ken's show? We did actually before yeah. yesterday. <laughs> oh, did you? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on. I think next week. Um, but um, yeah, you you can't get a, a a better advisor than Ken. He's 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 extraordinary. You know, one of the one of the places where um, apps. You know, there's two million apps out there, or whatever the number is, and uh, the number of um, app developers that are actually making money is twenty five. <laughs> and the average app only generates five hundred dollars a month in income, and ninety nine percent of them fail. So, and one of the reasons they fail is not because they're not a bloody clever idea. It's getting out there and cutting through all the clutter and getting people to hear about you and and um, and use you before you run out of money. So, ha- ha- what's your strategy to address that? Just is to get in bed with a with a big guy that gives you some grunt and gives you the exposure, sort of a, not joint venturing necessarily, but you know what I mean. Yes, I would say the the only way to really understand that is to look at an application as a an a entertainment tool. Yeah. So being in mobile apps is being in the entertainment world. Yes. Because unless you have that market share, unless you have the publicity that in, that the entertainment world grants you. Yep. You're you're not going to succeed with getting your your initial users, and yep. so yes, to answer your question, we are meeting and in talks with really big big names. And as you know, Ken knows a lot of big names sure that does. would that would stand behind us and would market us as as their own. Uh, that's great. So it's really important to know to know where in entertainment your app is going to go and which kinds of partners you need in that field. I agree. So, what's the biggest issue that you've ever had to face uh, as an entrepreneur? You know, you've got an idea. Um, you're you're a young guy out there, a young budding entrepreneur. You think you've got a great idea. Um, what's the biggest issue that you reckon you have to face? I would say it's the relationship with the VCs. I feel like it's a very it's a it's it's really unknown. For an entrepreneur that's starting out, it's really unknown how to behave in front of VCs, and it, it, it's very it's very difficult to know because the VCs are trying to put up this this front of being this organization that has money for you and really wants to know if you have a good idea. But it's not at all like that. They're actually looking at the person themselves. They're not investing in your idea. They don't care what your idea is. Yeah, They're investing in you as a person and seeing whether you can follow through and whether you're the type of person who really become successful. And the second is that the VC isn't the one with the money. You know, you're, you have to explain your idea, not from the point of, this is a great idea, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it successful. It's how can the VC go out and explain your idea like you've explained it and yep. collect money for that. Yeah. You know, when you, when, you really, when you see that change in dynamic, you can really understand how to talk to a VC like a partner, like a marriage almost. Right. And not like them being your boss. 
Yep, I agree, I agree with that. It's it's interesting because um, Tim Draper, who's a friend of mine, is also a friend of Ken's, um, said to me that um, he looks at an idea and says, yeah, that's an okay idea, but there's millions of okay ideas out there. He says that he, he will invest based on the personality and the drive and the commitment of the entrepreneur. That's his primary motivation. He goes in, meets the guy, and the guy's enthusiastic and really knows his product and believes in it, is excited. Then he'll give him money because um, he considers that he'll stick with it. So you're right. What you said is exactly 100% spot on. Um, yeah. I, I think also, you know, people are intimidated going and sitting in front of VCs. I know, you know, I've been raising money for a long time, donkey's years, and you still get a little bit intimidated when you've got to sit there and, and try to impress somebody who pretends that they've seen it all and know it all and, and they've got all the cards because, you know, they've got what you want. <laughs> so it puts, you, it puts you at a bit of a disadvantage, doesn't it? It does. When you, when you come in with that kind of mentality, then chances are it's not, it's not going to be a good fit. You really yeah. have to feel like the VC is on your side. And if you're, if you're not doing that, you just have to be honest with them, you know? Yeah. And and that honesty really goes a long way with these things. No, I agree. Also, I just want to go back to your previous point. It's not even medium ideas that get shut down. It's great ideas. Yeah. Amazing ideas can go in front of a VC. And if the VC can't sell you as a person, then it's, it, it doesn't matter what you even say. Yeah. No, you know, I agree. The questions that a VC is going to be asking you when you go in front of them has nothing to do with your idea. It has to do only with your attitude and how you're responding. And I feel like that's where the practice needs to go. It needs to go with that, being comfortable around your idea, being comfortable with you as an entrepreneur, and just being comfortable with you as a person. Yeah. No, I, I agree with all that. So, um, what advice, what's your, what's your one primary piece of advice for entrepreneurs? I guess we almost just covered it, but the one piece of advice you can give for other entrepreneurs who have app ideas and want to get into mobile. So, go to, go to a, um, a venture capital, sorry, go to a, um, um, I know. A startup weekend. A startup weekend. Another way to say it is a, it's a hackathon. Yep. Go to a hackathon, you know, pay the money. It's not a lot, really. The not connections true. that you make through there, even if you don't win, are just, are just you know, that super valuable. Right. Um, the second is really know who can build your app for you. Know who you want to be the father of, you, of your idea. If you're not a technical person and you have an idea in technology, you have to know who's going to build it and if that person is the right person to build it. Right. Whenever, you know, we, we, were, we did a lot of, um, uh, we sent out fillers to try to get uh, app developers when we first had this idea before Startup Weekend. We sent it out to companies in China, Ukraine, Russia. We got quotes back and we thought, okay, it's, it's fairly cheap to build an app. It's like, Two, three thousand dollars, maybe five thousand for for a uh, iOS app. Yes. But really, if something goes wrong, you need to have someone to back it up. You need to have someone with the knowledge base to talk to anybody and tell them what language it's in, what uh, you know features are implemented in, what they're going to do to implement the next features. Like all those are questions that VCs and potential partners want to hear about. And knowing that you have someone on board with experience that you trust, worked with that goes a very long way. Uh, I agree with that. So you say Ringling is about eight weeks away from hitting the market? That's right, eight weeks. You excited? I'm very excited. <laughs> Everyone is very excited. Cooterstone's very excited. 
I can tell. I can tell by your voice that you're excited. Um, so, if they want to hear more, people want out there listening want to read or hear more about you. Um, what do they do? Is there is there a um, a website they can go to or? Yes, yeah, so there's a. We have a Facebook page open now. It's, Facebook page. It's yep. Facebook. It's a Facebook forward slash Ringling app. We have a website that's uh, coming soon. It's RinglingApp.com. Okay. And yeah, they'll just be hearing about us on you know on various uh, news places, Wired and uh, TechCrunch. I'm sure it's going to be writing about us pretty soon. Great. Well, thank you very very much, Paul, for being on the on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. That was a very fortuitous meeting at at uh, Metal the other day um, and I'll, I'll, of course I'll see you on next Saturday um, now if you'd like to learn more about Paul or Ringling go to the um, the Facebook page or watch out in Wired and other publications that's coming to your way in about 8 weeks time so this is Bob Pritchard you're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business we're brought to you by the American Institute of Sales Marketing and Management and I'll be back in just a moment The American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management is one of the leading accreditation institutes in the world. Do you have the letters AISMM after your name? Do you have the AISMM accreditation certificate on your wall for your clients and colleagues to envy? Do you have the AISMM membership pin on your lapel? AISMM helps you do business. Join the American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management now. Go to AISMM.org. That's AISMM.org. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show on the Voice America Business Network. So we really appreciate all the emails that you send us every week and all of the great ideas you tell us about. Um. It's terrific to be kept up with um, what's happening all over the world every week. And we do our best to answer all of the emails and to discuss the issues that you raise with us, although there's just so many of them that we can't keep up with them all. But if we haven't answered your email either on air or off, I promise that we will get around to it. Um, Don't forget my new newsletter, my September newsletter, is out this week. Um, and uh, about 16,000 of them go out around the world. So if you'd like to get a copy of my newsletter, which this week talks about, um, this month talks about is your company digital and how the rest of the world is, and if you're not, you should be. So just go onto the website, bobpritchard.com, and uh, enroll, and it'll come out to you. There's absolutely no cost, and I think that um, you'll probably... Enjoy it. Now, 90% of the work that I do, apart from this radio program and with um, my speech presentations, is is with entrepreneurs and early-stage companies. That's one reason that I love this email segment is that it doesn't matter whether you're a plumber or you have a technology company, whether you're in the US, UK or somewhere else in the world, um, we all have the same issues 
and this is borne out by thousands of emails we receive that have very similar questions in them. My first email today is from Stuart Appleby from Sydney, Australia, which is really my hometown, who writes, Hi, Bob. Terrific show. Love it. Great to see an Aussie doing so well in the US. Keep up the good work. I met with you after a speech you gave in Sydney a couple of years ago at the Crystal Palace. I learned a lot from your presentation. Now, I have a business that's been going for a couple of years now, and we're developing our own IP. My question is, how do I protect it? Well, Stuart, thanks for your email. It's a very good question, and it's one that um, uh, a lot of people constantly contact us about uh, to get information on. So one of the things that worries entrepreneurs and the most is the fear that someone might steal your idea. And while you can't completely eliminate the threat of intellectual property theft, there are some basic steps you can take to give yourself some protection. You know, there's a lot of companies and a lot of big companies that don't care whether you've got protection or not. They'll go out and they'll they'll pinch it and hope to hell that you won't sue them or if you do, you'll run out of money before you get to the courthouse steps. Well, that's something that you really can't um, do much about. However, you've got to be practical and realise that if somebody wants to steal it, they will and they probably won't worry about your patent. I had lunch a couple of years ago with the CEO of a Fortune 20, Fortune Top 20 company who told me that um, if you have the world's best idea and you're only a small company, either do a joint venture or a licensing deal with somebody huge or sell it outright because a giant company like theirs will either copy it or and steal it um, and the cost of you taking action against a company like them will certainly send you out of business. So there are people out there who, you know, make a profession of stealing other people's ideas. But, um, and, and you know, that's being quite honest. That's, that's the way the real world plays business. They play it tough. However, patents, copyrights and trademarks, they're still a good start. They won't stop thieves from stealing your IP, but... Um, Lawsuits to um, protect your IP can be horrendously costly, but it does give you some measure of protection. For starters, make sure everyone you work with signs a non-disclosure agreement, you know, commonly called an NDA. Um, and if you don't have one, you can go onto the web and look up non-disclosure agreements, and there's a whole heap of templates there. And mark all print and online content with appropriate notifications to show that you own the property. So just a little copyright or um, trademark information on everything you put out just to show that um, you do own the property. Next, design a process uh, to search for infringers on a monthly basis and make sure you've got a process in place for employees to report anything amiss with your IP, content, products, image or brand. You know, Monitor social media postings and website traffic for any out-of-the-order out of the ordinary patterns. There's a good chance somebody will try to steal your IP at some point. So the earlier you detect it, the better your chances of controlling the damage. So we'll send you out. I did actually give um, on this program, I did a detailed um, presentation on all of the different ways you can protect your IP. I'll look that up and I'll give you those details next week. Um, so thank you very much for your for your email and um, we will send you out a copy of my new book Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets How to Blitz Your Competition 
We'll send it out to you tomorrow. Um, it's available at all bookstores and at Amazon. Now, we're running out of time, but my second email today is from Melissa Sweeney of Columbia, South Carolina, and Melissa writes, I attend the University of South Carolina, and I've started a business which is going pretty well, and I now have two part-time employees. My big issue is time, trying to combine my students with my studies with running a business is difficult. Melissa, it's time to let go a bit and delegate. As an entrepreneur, you typically want to do it yourself because you think you know better and you've got the vision. But as early as possible, you need to begin to turn over some responsibilities to someone else. So that enables you to focus on spending as much time as possible working on the business and not in the business, selling whatever whatever it is you've got. In fact, that's got to be your goal if you want to get your company to grow. By letting go and delegating, it isn't the easiest thing to do for somebody who's passionate. But um, So it's best to begin with simple time-consuming tasks that you don't really need to be spending your time on. Um, tasks such as answering consumer emails, processing online orders, they're good ones to delegate. Um, however, keep in mind, Richard Branson often can often be found working in a cabin or unloading bags, and Steve Jobs was famous for handling customer service requests, so you keep yourself in touch. Melissa? A copy of Marketing Magic, a book I wrote a couple of years ago with Brian Tracy and Joey Conrad Levinson, Robert Bly and a bunch of others. It's on its way to you tomorrow and uh, I'm sure you will enjoy it. I had planned to answer three emails today but um, something got away with the time so I will tackle the other one next week. So don't forget, I really want to hear from you. Um, I'm not just saying that. Send me an email. Um, at bob at bobpritchard.com. Visit my website. Um, sign up for my new newsletter coming out this week, all about why your company should be digital. Um, you need to email me, ask me a question, tell me who you would like me to interview, um, what um, topics you'd like me to cover, tweet me. Please join me on LinkedIn so that um, I have access to you, but I often use LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show for Entrepreneurs. And remember, if you're serious about being successful, this is the place to come every week at exactly the same time. This is Bob Pritchard on the Voice America Business Network, and I hope that you have a fantastic week. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.